This is Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love, a podcast ministry brought to you by Grace School of Theology, a seminary to the world committed to the truth of Scripture and life application through the lens of grace. Hello and welcome to Saving Grace, Living in Light of God's Love. I'm Carmen Pate, your host for this podcast. What is God's sovereign role in the sphere of government? Does he care about the political process? Does he intend for believers to be involved in it? Well, Dr. Ken Wilson, professor of systematic theology and church history at Grace School of Theology, is back with us to discuss God's priorities in government and his book, The Moral Mandate to Vote. Dr. Wilson is a board-certified orthopedic surgeon with a private practice in Oregon and is also a theologian and received his doctorate in theology from the University of Oxford. Welcome back, Dr. Wilson, to Saving Grace. Thank you, Carmen. Nice to be here with you. Well, you know, we are in the midst of a presidential election year, and the stakes are certainly high. Everyone's talking about politics. I titled this episode, sort of tongue-in-cheek, Is God a Republican or a Democrat? And that's the question I'm hoping you're able to answer for us. (laughs) (laughs) Thank God he's not a politician. (laughs) Oh, yes. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? Well, sometimes in the conversations that we have about politics, you would think that there are those who believe that he actually has a political party that has his name on it. Uh, We know that uh, God is neither Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or anything else. Would you agree, though, that God actually has more to say about who is elected president than most people realize? I think he does. Uh, certainly in Romans, Paul tells us that uh, God raised up Pharaoh for this purpose. Uh, mm-hmm. There are definitely ideas in Scripture about God having leadership. Yes, yes. I've often wondered, and it's just a, a curiosity, I think, more than anything, if his um, the one that he raises up, if it's in accordance to what the people deserve, you know, when you think back uh, to how the Israelites wanted a king and they were determined they wanted a king. They had God. They had the king of kings, but they wanted a king like the other nations had. Yes. And so he gave them Saul. And we know the rest of that story. Yes, we do. That's a great example, Carmen, because Samuel warned them of what would happen, and sure enough, it did. Uh, It was not God's desire uh, that they have a king. It was not his plan, per se, that they had a king. He allowed them to choose a king because that's what they wanted. That was not his best for them. He wanted to be their king, and yet that's what he gave them, just as you said, because that's where the people wanted to go. Yes. Wow. So we often get what we deserve. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, Well, we've talked about God's sovereignty over the past couple of weeks and most recently about God's plans versus God's desires. So uh, when you think of God's appointment for a national leader, uh, would that fall in the category of plan or desire? That's one I think that could be both, oh, okay. um, because uh, his desire uh, is, would always be for a godly leader, mm-hmm. uh, somebody who would uphold righteousness and justice uh, to care for the poor, as well as to protect the innocent, such as the unborn. Uh, that would be God's desire. But if the people are in rebellion against God, mm-hmm. then his plan may be to allow them to appoint somebody or to elect someone who is not so. 
So I think it could be both uh, at the same time in that case. Very interesting. Does God have any interest, do you think, in the political process that man has established? Um, I don't know that he has a direct interest in the political process uh, other than it be uh, according to righteousness and be done Mm -hmm. in a godly manner. Um, But he does have an interest in how we go about choosing our elected leaders, Uh, that that process be done in righteousness and in godliness and in accord with his his desires and his word. Um, So in the process, I would say, if I vote for someone or you vote for someone, it should be according to biblical principles and not simply because we don't want to pay more taxes or because we'll be better off financially uh, if we do so. And it's, again, one of those instances where God knows our heart. He knows what we know. Yes. Uh, and we are held accountable for those choices. We are held accountable. That's not something that people uh, really want to delve into a topic like that. But in my book, I discuss that it's uh, really like checking your wallet. If you don't want to know what your priorities are, you check where you spend your money. You look at your checkbook. Uh, and if you want to know what your priorities really are, look at your voting. It tells you what your priorities are, mm. if they're in line with God or if they're for your own selfish ends. Wow. Well, that's uh, convicting, isn't it, <laughs> when we consider that? Yes. Well, how are we to understand God's sovereignty over just the sphere of government in general? What is, what is his role there? We have the, you know, we think about the home and the community and families, and, but then we've got this government mm-hmm. sphere. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what is his, his role and in, in his power as it's used in that, in that sphere? Good question. I, I don't think he takes a uh, direct involvement and points people uh, unilaterally. Uh, that is, if we say that he, he has that and uses that ability, what about Hitler? I mean, did God purposely put Hitler in to kill all his people and to, to murder millions of Jews and other innocent uh, people, including handicapped children? Um, I think that's not consistent with the God we know from Scripture. So it'd have to be indirect uh, in that way uh, if we look at it. We have to be real careful about how we approach that topic. Yes, yes. Well, I, I, I find that, uh, you know, when we consider the, the different types of government, there's communism and socialism, and, uh, we, you know, we live in a republic. And, and uh, I, I just I find it interesting when we consider that— uh, in, in God's realm, uh, he desires all the same for all of his people. And so uh, I, I just, it, it makes you wonder how he, when he, when he sees communism, uh, again, is that part of this fallen world? And, and we're seeing the consequences. Uh, and then hearts our minds are turned individually to get in line behind uh, a type of government that is not in accordance with God's will. Yes. I mean, obviously, communism is very anti-God. They purposely tried to push God out of uh, the Soviet Union. They would uh, tell, you know, people, the little children here, pray to God for a piece of candy and then open your hand and nothing happened. And then they would say, pray to, you know, Lenin or Stalin. And, uh, you know, there it would be. So they were purposely, you know, indoctrinating children into an anti-God stance. That's obviously not in accordance with with scriptural principles. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Not at all. Well, 
Well, our guest today is Dr. Ken Wilson. He is professor of systematic theology and church history at Grace School of Theology. And we're discussing God's sovereignty over the sphere of government and our role as believers in the political process. Uh, well, you know, Dr. Wilson, the book that you referenced, uh, The Moral Mandate to Vote, God's Priorities in Government, was published back in 2000. We were talking uh, off the air that uh, it much of it, most of it, is still very relevant 16 years later uh, because we still need to be involved in the political process. We need not to be apathetic. Uh, But what prompted you in the year 2000 to write this book? Yes, a good question. Uh, It was definitely a labor of love because I was in a church where I was on the uh, worship uh, team uh, helping lead that, and other people on the team were um, voting for uh, candidates who were pro-choice to kill babies. And uh, I had a, a very big problem with that, and the pastor would not say yay or nay. And so this led to a, a big search for me. I mean, does God really care how we vote? Mm-hmm. Does it really make a difference? And uh, I obviously concluded that it does make a difference, that his priority is life. Um, that's what uh, is, I mean, the Good Samaritan um, is a great example of saving a human life. That is a priority, and that's how you love your neighbor. And I call it loving your neighbor in the womb with unborn children, that they are clearly people. Uh, they are not just a blob as is supposedly uh, put out there by Planned Parenthood and others, mm. um, that you have a heart beating. Uh, you know, at six to eight weeks, they're already a visible human. A child can tell that's a human being. So that's why I got involved, is trying to decide, does voting really matter to God? And concluded, yeah, it does. It does. And you are also a medical doctor, orthopedic surgeon. Right. Uh just in your knowledge and, and uh, education and your experience as a surgeon, did that have any impact on your pro-life views? Well, sure. I think everyone's seen the uh, hand reaching out of the womb to hold the surgeon's finger uh, that was uh, done many years ago. Yes. And uh, even though that's a primitive grasp reflex, uh, it's very touching as you understand that really is a human being mm-hmm. inside of there. Um, and it's very powerful to show people. Oh, no doubt about it. Well, I, I too, have been involved in the pro-life movement for many years. And uh, I was pleased with your book because you really are addressing the church. And you would think on this issue of life, an issue that is uh, given, uh, life is given by God, it's taken by the Lord. And and yet it is a divisive issue, even in in the church. Why do you think that is? Um, There's much confusion in the church over this issue. It's another reason I wrote the book, and that is it's single-issue voting if you only vote for, you know, a person who is pro-life to save life. And I say, no, it's priority voting. It's not single-issue voting. Uh, If we had a uh, situation where uh, a billion people were going to be killed uh, tomorrow unless we voted a certain way, forget the unborn babies of a million, let's go for the billion uh, mm-hmm. people that are going to die. It's a priority thing of saving human life. And when millions of babies are killed every year uh, by abortion, mm-hmm. that is an issue that needs to be addressed because those are human beings in God's sight. Yes. Oh, no doubt about it. You know, abortion has been front and center in the political debate uh, since the infamous court case of Roe v. Wade in 1973. But 
wouldn't you agree that it actually is not so much a political issue as it is a spiritual issue? It is. And I predicted in the book in 2000 that the church was going to be uh, slapped with the homosexual issue uh, within the next few decades because of their failure to understand that this is not a political issue. It is a spiritual issue on which the church must stand. Need I say any more? Mm. The Supreme Court has now said uh, that you must accept homosexual marriage. And people are being sued for not allowing, you know, not baking cakes for homosexual weddings and doing other things. Uh, Churches are going to be sued for not performing homosexual weddings. It's going to be a problem because we have failed to stand on spiritual issues by saying, well, that's just political. We should not get involved. Yes. Well, in in fact, that's exactly what people say, that uh, the church should not get involved in politics. So you very seldom hear pastors who will talk about the issue of life or marriage or the need to vote. Uh, Are there compelling reasons that pastors have uh, in believing they should avoid these topics? Sure. Uh, One of them is the women who have had abortions. I mean, probably a a third to a quarter of all women in a church have had an abortion if they're um, older, uh, even even many younger ones, and they're afraid that will offend them. And uh, every time I speak at a church, I have women come up to me and say, I've never told anyone. But, but I've had an abortion, and I get to yes. uh, extend God's grace and forgiveness to them verbally, in person, right there, which is incredibly healing for them. Uh, you don't get better by healing. You know, the sin that is covered, you know, you don't prosper. You have to confess your sin in order to do it. And they have, and it's healing for them yes. to do that. Yes. So that's one reason, and it's a wrong reason. They need to address the issue and then have people to help and offer forgiveness. The second is they're very confused about the church's responsibility in society. Uh, We do have a responsibility in society to help it, to make it more godly, to help bring people Mm -hmm. to Christ. The more corrupt our, our whole system becomes in America, the harder it is for even pastors to be godly. Half of pastors are involved in pornography now in evangelical circles. And so we see the deterioration of society and Christianity and the church following it. So there are compelling reasons to be able to say, we need to help stop this slide and we need to get involved in the political process. We may not be able to uh, completely turn it around, but we can help, especially in our local areas. Mm, I appreciate that. I am a post-abortive woman, by the way, and and I know that the opportunities that I've given, been given to help minister to women who have walked that same path and to help encourage women who are uh, uh, have an unplanned pregnancy to choose life. Uh, God uses even the ugly things in our lives for his purposes and glory when we allow him to do so. Do you feel that the church would see the benefits, that they would uh, see God's favor, should they uh, begin to open their doors uh, and their arms uh, to, to, the, to those who have chosen abortion, to those who are addicted to pornography, to those who are involved in the homosexual lifestyle? It seems we're turning people to the world for answers rather than the church. Yes, I um, teach a spiritual life class at school where I specifically discuss sex and uh, the whole issues involved there and get very specific as a medical doctor. Mm -hmm. Some students are very surprised at at how blatant I become with it and and specific. But I think that's a problem the church has had is we 
don't address issues head on and very specifically. Um, and even the whole voting issue, I mean, they're afraid they're going to be slapped with a lawsuit for uh, supporting a certain candidate. Well, the law uh, says that you have every right to tell who's the godly candidate and who's not, who's supporting God's values and who's not. That is perfectly legal to do. And the people that are post-aborted, the homosexuals, there are Christians many, many Christians in that situation. Yes. We need to bring them in, give them help groups, just like Alcoholics Anonymous or uh, addiction stuff. I've led an addiction group of people before, and it's very healing to them within the church. So I think more churches need to reach out in that kind of love and relational aspect of these uh, who are in need. And why let the world mess them up when the church can help heal them by God's grace? Oh, oh exactly. I always feel you know, it's the church that has the truth. It's the church that can actually offer real healing through Jesus Christ, and yet we turn them over to the world who has no answers at all. That's right, wow. Well, you know, we've talked uh, uh, about the importance of Christians being involved in the political process. For some, uh, they may be call, uh, feel led to run for office, mm-hmm. but the least we can do is to vote. Uh, What do you feel are the consequences for us as believers when we just are apathetic and say, I'm not going to vote. I've I've lost faith in the system and I'm just going to set this one out. Sure. I I look at it again like the Good Samaritan where Jesus said, uh, you know, who was neighbor to that man who was injured? And they answered correctly, the one who showed mercy, Mm -hmm. uh, who saved his physical life. And so if we do not use our opportunity to vote to put in godly people and to help to try to stop abortion, try to stop the homosexual movement, try to stop the ungodliness that's happening in America, if we are not participating, we're just like the Pharisee who walks on the other side of the man who's dying. Mm. Uh, We are not doing our duty to love our neighbor. So we do have a very legitimate reason to become involved politically and to allow God to work through our vote. How would you recommend a listener uh, how they would make a decision about, well, who is the godly candidate? Uh, Any recommendations that you would have? There are voters guides that are put out by uh, numerous different organizations. Uh, Certainly uh, Right to Life has uh, voters guides. National Right to Life has voter guides. There are uh, parties that tend to be more Christian. Uh, organizations that are more Christian that can help guide you in that process. Yes. And as far as God's uh, direction to us, uh, I think oftentimes we we say, well, uh, if God's going to raise up a leader, (laughs) then do I really need to cast my vote for the leader? Uh, You did say earlier, you know, that certainly he has his desire and he has his plan. Uh, Do you feel that uh, it is a sin? for a Christian not to vote or to vote for the wrong candidate? Um, I do, uh, because, again, we're failing to love our neighbor. Sin can be a commission or an omission, and that would be an omission by not voting for a person who's godly and who's going to pursue. Uh, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. If they're not doing that, I think that's a sin. David even once says, uh, let my enemy's prayer become a sin. Uh, Prayer can be, if prayer can be a sin, I mean, I think anything can be a sin. Mm, So voting uh, incorrectly with wrong priorities, selfish priorities rather than God's priorities is a sin. Yes. Also on the issue of just the importance of government in our society, there are those who would make government their God. Mm -hmm. If we just get the right president, then everything is going to be fine. Uh, If we, you know, then we don't have to worry about all the troubles in the world. Uh, How do we... uh, 
how do we make sure that we are keeping God as the priority and the focus uh, in this political season? Because it is easy to get drawn into all of the excitement of the political activities that are all around us day in and day out. Yes, uh, then that balance is very important. Uh, there are people who get overly involved with the political process, and God does not do things through the political process. He does it through individuals. You, me, our listeners, we have to be the godly people we're supposed to be and the examples of righteousness. That's how he works. The problem, in my opinion, as I teach ecclesiology, uh, the church, is that we as Christians have failed to be the godly people we need to be. Uh, And that's part of the problem. So we do have a a, a need to vote uh, as a priority. But on the other hand, our major issue is to be godly in our lives as we walk day by day. Mm, that's so, such a good point because we talk about wanting to elect godly leaders. Uh, but the church has an important role in just reflecting Christ in our everyday life so that we're drawing people into the church instead of sending them out of the church. We, we, I think people run from us. They ran to Jesus and they run from believers, right? Uh, it seems if we could draw them to the church so they can hear truth. Uh, then we might ultimately see a change in this nation uh, if, uh, if, if God's people are brought to their knees and ask for forgiveness. Yes, we do need to do so. Uh, first of our own uh, hypocritical uh, actions by saying one thing and doing another and then not loving people by drawing them in and not just letting them stay where they are, but drawing them toward Christ and his righteousness as we do it. There's a balance there also. Yes, yes. Do you believe that if God's people do pray and ask forgiveness for our land, uh, that God will hear us and that we that he might bring revival to America? Um, certainly the uh, comment was to Israel, but I think the principle yes. still holds that God uh, will bless those who are righteous and he will punish those who are not. So yes, I think if America does pray and we do repent and we become godly in our behavior and our voting and the way we do things and loving people, that God will again bless America. Mm, And I pray that he will. And certainly I do hope that you are encouraged uh, to vote uh, this coming year. We have lots of opportunities locally in our state elections and then certainly on a national level voting for the president. Uh, But I do also pray that you will be praying for our our country, that uh, believers would get on their knees and ask God to restore us once again to the Judeo-Christian values upon which we were founded. Well, we would love to get your feedback about our discussion today on God's sovereignty over government and our role and our duty as Christian citizens. We've set up a couple of ways for you to communicate with us. You can email questions or comments to savinggrace at gsot.edu. It might be your comment that we share on a future podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Talk to us there. Get updates on new podcasts and events. Be sure to tune in to the next edition of Saving Grace. Dr. Dave Anderson will return. Thanks for tuning in today. And remember, the love of Christ can never be earned and can never be lost. You have been listening to Saving Grace, a podcast ministry of Grace School of Theology. For more information, visit gsot.edu slash saving grace. Views expressed on this podcast may not always be the views of Grace School of Theology or its leadership.